Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. All right, well, good evening. Welcome to the podcast. We've got a guest with us tonight. I've been excited about this. We talked quite some time ago about lining him up. His name is Tim Kuzieski. He is a lifetime career firefighter, and he is now the chief of the fire department in Pell City, Alabama, in the USA. And for those that are not familiar, that's about 40 miles east of Birmingham, right in the middle of Alabama, and that is in the southeastern portion of the United States. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks. I thank y'all for the invite. A lot of folks also would might be interested to know that you have a nickname called Yank. Why do they call you Yank? So I do. Um, I was actually originally born in upstate New York, just south of Rochester. Then we moved to uh, Marietta, Georgia for a while and ended up going back up to Rochester. And I actually finished high school up there. And then my mother got relocated here to Alabama. And I ended up moving down here and uh, took a chance on a job at Pell City in January, January of this upcoming January, be 25 years. Wow, wow. That's terrific. Gosh, that's awesome. You came to Alabama and you just stuck and stayed. Yeah, I was definitely more cut out for Alabama than I was upstate New York. <laughs> well, tell us, Tim, how did you get started into the fire and or rescue services business? So when I was in high school, I come from a law enforcement family. And I was looking at doing criminal justice and where I lived at the time, they had a combination fire department, which is going to be a combination of career firefighters and volunteers. So I signed up on the volunteer side to get a little bit of experience in public safety, because whether you're police, fire, EMS, everyone kind of has the same core of stuff they deal with in public safety. So I thought it would be a good experience to have in my folder of having experience in public safety. But as I got more involved in it, got to become pretty good friends with some of the paid guys that were there that were helping me and teaching me stuff. And that's when I kind of made the decision that I kind of swapped my track to fire and EMS versus law enforcement. And that's kind of how it all began. Okay. All right. Well, and my brother was also a volunteer through scouts, I think, as I recall, in the fire department. And he had a lot of interest. Uh, he Every weekend, he was going to the department to just basically hang out and learn some cool stuff. And I think once in a while, he got to ride the big truck. But they didn't, you know, let him, like, actually put a fire out, but he, he certainly did learn a lot. And I think a lot of folks may have an interest in how do you get started and volunteering is certainly a great avenue for that. So in around our area, Town City is surrounded by some all volunteer fire departments. And it seems like it's a, it's a daily struggle for them to, you know, for people that volunteer because everyone's life, you know, life nowadays is such so fast paced and, People don't have a lot of time for volunteer work, but they, these small communities that don't, you know, that rely on their volunteer firefighters are always looking, you know, for people to help out. And it's not always about fighting fires. It's do we run, there's all kinds of calls. And I think everybody, everybody has a place where they can fit in at a volunteer fire department. Okay. 
but it's just about, you know, trying to help your community. And that's kind of how a lot of times when people come by the office, want to do it, you know, get into it for a career, you know, especially the younger people. I always recommend, you know, if you, if you live in a, in a smaller community has a volunteer department, that's a great way to get started because it gets you some experience and also kind of helps you see if you, if it's even something you would want to do for a career. That is a great piece of advice right there. I, I appreciate you sharing that. There's a lot of differences, and the audience knows some of my background, that I was a medic for 19 years, and I'm in law enforcement now. And we always kid back and forth between law enforcement and fire department, and you'd think we didn't like each other sometimes. The that way is we, a fact. The way we, <laughs> right. A fact that we don't like each other or a fact that we act like we don't like each other. We act. <laughs> it's an act. act. It like. is. It is. Some of the greatest stunts and practical jokes I ever heard of were between police and fire. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you, very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Trust them with your life, but never your car. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. So. That's is a fact right what and and i know you went through paramedic school you and i actually went to the same place i was quite several years ahead of you but talk about some of the differences between then and now with what uh, i am very impressed with the way that the ems has progressed and what you can do now that we could not do when we went through school yeah so there's been some progressive changes over the years well, you're right. We both did go to University of Alabama at Birmingham for a medic. Originally, when I got into this, the EMS was not really kind of where I was at. But after I'd gotten hired by the city of Pell City, my captain, who ended up being a lot, he's a lifelong friend. Um, he's since retired, but he had sat me down one night and he's like, you're going to paramedic school. I'm like, ah, I don't believe I'm going to. He said, no, no, you're going to paramedic school. And so much has changed in that of in, in, in the state of Alabama where they have, you know, we have protocols now that we're able to do so much more in the field on our own. Um, I know when I first come out, a lot of routine medical calls and some interventions and definitive care that we try to establish, we'd have to call a medical control physician at an emergency room to just get permission to do it. Right, and, and that, that's put, as basic as starting an IV. Yes, uh, anything remember, like that. Back in the day, I remember the cardiac arrest. You had to call to pretty much get orders to be able to work on somebody in cardiac arrest. And right. now we have such established protocols where it's all listed out, and it all falls underneath our scope of practice to be able to handle the field without delaying have to call a doctor. Gosh, that's got to make a big difference in the ability to save a life and minimize and mitigate injuries and, and get Especially that when you're looking at, at many times having only a couple of people on the scene and you're trying right. to do CPR, especially with smaller departments. Exactly. And you're trying yeah. to do CPR, plus you're trying to start an IV, plus you're trying to open up the drug box, and you had to get the doctor on the other end of the line. And there's a lot of stuff that we can do now that was only pretty much, in theory, just taught of you need to know this for your national registry exam. Right. It was nothing at the time that we were allowed to do in Alabama. And just advancements in equipment that have been just really game changers. We've just put in video laryngoscopes. So when we intubate somebody that's not breathing, we can actually see into down, you know, in their throat to the vocal cords. Wow. Um, no have, excuse for missing that one, is it? <laughs> exactly. You, you, hopefully you won't miss it. Mm. 
we just put in the service Lucas devices, which are automatic chest compression devices that do compressions and adequate compressions, which ends up I've seen freeing. That. We put one on every every engine company at Pell City. Oh, that that is that's an have, extra set of hands. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it's more than an extra set of hands. I mean, <laughs> that that thing is wicked in a number of ways. I mean, it's wicked good, and it seems to be pretty violent because it is doing adequate compressions, which I it think is. a lot of times we as individuals don't do. E- even those of us that have done it many, many times, we may not do it to the best it could be done. That's that's true. And there's been remarkable, remarkable results from this of actually getting pulse back mm-hmm. and that we did not see a lot of times with manual compressions because you know you go to you have, you have a cardiac arrest in someone's house but then you have to try to get out of the house and get into an ambulance and there's some time in there where either there's it's it's you're unable to do compressions or they're not adequate in press compressions and now with this device it straps pretty much to the patient so no matter where you move the patient the chest compressions are continuous right and it doesn't get tired you know, it does like not a, get tired. It doesn't. It's not going to go through stress and and having its own. A human being is a human being, and yes. and things can, can happen only, even to a first responder. You, you can know. only do CPR so long, and then you're going to fall over in the floor. Yeah, I mean that's a that, and that's something. If you do it eight or ten minutes, I mean you're spent. And there's some. Um, there was been you know earlier in my career there was a, some chest compression devices that come out. They were kind of big, kind of cumbersome. This is battery powered. The battery that's on the unit will last somewhere around 45 minutes. There's a spare battery. And then in the case of we've actually, some of the ones that we've run into our emergency department, they've continued the use of it while in the emergency room. Wow. So they've been, that's just stuff like that that's ever changing and just making the job easier, but also improving patient outcomes as, as we go along. That is and that, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you about a couple of books that you need to add to your collection and give as gifts. I highly encourage that you go to Amazon and look up this title, Making Contact During Emergencies. This is information that may save your life or the life of someone you care about. If injured, lost, or found in a disaster or another type of emergency. This book was written by Mark and Krista Lolly. I'm Krista and Mark is my husband. Book number two that we wrote that we're especially proud of and has gotten a lot of buzz is entitled Practical Prepping for Everyday People. This is a common sense guide on preparing for life's emergencies. And when we say practical prepping, we mean the type of emergencies you're going to find yourself in day in and day out. Car emergencies, dead batteries, flat tires, storm damage, the roof has gotten blown off, you find that you have no power, no electricity, no devices are working. These kinds of things are happening to somebody somewhere every single day. And we were astonished when we did a little research to find that a vast majority of people found themselves woefully unprepared for one or more of these types of emergencies. And particularly after this COVID year that we've experienced, I think a whole lot more of us are paying closer attention to things like grocery store supply chains, the ability to be able to buy gas, the ability to be able to move freely about, or what's going to happen if we do have to stay home for three weeks solid. Practical Prepping for Everyday People by Mark and Crystal Lolly, also making contact during emergencies. Go to Amazon, look these up, add these to your collection. We sure appreciate it. 
Now, you don't win them all. What are some heartaches that you have that, that stick in your mind? And, and I say stick in your mind. There are some of the things that you see, some of the things that you wind up doing that they stick with you for years. Yeah, and we've had this talk the other day. Had a pretty rough call, and we're human, first of all. Right. And that's that's one thing I had to learn, that I am human. And stuff bothers people, and it bothers us. And yeah, you're going to have the people that go around and say nothing bothers you, nothing bothers me, and it's just part of the job. And <laughs> we do have a unique job. A matter of fact, today, me and our city manager, we got talking about this very subject about stuff that we've seen, stuff that we've experienced, and the effects it has on you at work. And a lot of times, it can get carried home. You know, you're like, oh, I leave everything at the fire station when I leave. Well, some of these calls that you run and and see you know, bad outcomes or see what happens to people. It's sometimes it's hard to turn that off. Mm-hmm. But I think the worst thing as a whole is when you pull up, there's a sense of calmness that, okay, the fire department's here and everything's going to be okay. And a lot of times it's not going to be okay. Right. And one thing that I've done kind of throughout my career is, you know, some people are like, well, oh, yeah, that's kind of cold, but now is, if things aren't going good, I'm going to let the family know that. Right. You know, uh, we use a cardiac arrest because that is, that's a, it's a terrible call to have to run at a person's residence and, you know, with family there. But if things are not kind of picking up where they need to be and we get in an ambulance, because a lot of times the, the family is going to be like, okay, fire department's here. They're getting an ambulance. You know, we'll go to the hospital. You know, I think everything's going to be okay. And I'm just, and that that's one part of it when you know there's so much hope put into a fire department crew and what they're doing. And these crews, especially at Pell City, they give it everything they've got. But to have that much hope put into a crew and know that when they get to a hospital, they're going to probably find out that their loved one didn't make it. Right. There's so, there's so many things that are beyond your control. Yes. How long have they been down before you got there? Yep. That that's uh, a critical factor. So it is like house fires example. You know, if you have people trapped and depending on fire involvement and is it ultimately at the end of the day, we have to keep our crew safe. Right. So the risk versus reward comes in. And you'll hear a lot of that at Chiefs conferences and that about risk reward and, you know, what are you risking? What do you but I've had house fires where, you know, we couldn't get to somebody. And so that's probably where I think off your initial question is, is like you said, you can't, you can't save everybody. You know, most people go into this business and that's pretty much the, the, the pushing factor is to help people. Exactly. And I think too, some of that training, particularly when the, the younger ones are coming along that want to learn paramedic, um, EMS, first responder, they're going to have to accept that the outcome doesn't always go the way you want and that there's just all you can do is the very best you can do. I mean, that's you're, you're at and, and you guys do a tremendous amount of good, tremendous. And you do make a difference. But there are those times and it's the, the families and the public needs to understand that every effort has been made. And then those that are going to be in that business need to understand that they do have to develop a a will to go on and to continue to 
try to learn and do their best and realize that it doesn't always turn out you right. know, the way that you would want to. And it, it can be very, very disturbing. It is. And it, it, there's been times where, you know, we, we come up on a call and you work it and we start following protocol. And, you know, it's it's tough no matter how long you've done it to turn to somebody and say, I'm, I'm sorry, <clears throat> there's nothing Right. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. And then, that goes back yeah. to when you walk in, they expect the fire department to kind of in a, in a nutshell, make everything better. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is amazing. It's an amazing career to have, to have people to look at you and, and, and respect you and the job that you do like that, that you are going to make everything better, but it just sometimes just doesn't always work out that way. Right. 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 It takes a lot of understanding. Now we've, we've talked about the EMS side. We've talked a little about the fire side. Now, especially on the fire side, a lot of your calls, fire concerned could be prevented. Oh, no, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, either prevented or you getting a notification earlier or something of that nature. We advocate, and and we've said that as preppers, we're not going to tell our audience that you must have these things to be a prepper. But we have said you as a human being must have these three things. One of those is a NOAA weather radio. One of those is a smoke detector. And the other is a fire extinguisher. Very much. And more than one. If you have a large home or multiple levels and know where they are, make sure that they're in good working order because a lot of these things, a lot of these small fires could be handled by a knowledgeable, prepared person. Right. Now, elaborate on that just a little bit. Any or all of the three that you would like to? So the the weather radio, definitely a huge plus to have in your house. And the good thing about a weather radio is is if you don't have generator power, which everyone can't have generators at their house, it's obviously something that's very useful, but it's battery backup. So if we do have, uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember exactly how many tornadoes had touched down in Alabama, but something on multi- the order of 27, 28. Yeah. We had yeah. multiple, we had multiple rounds and it seems a lot of times in our state where the tornadoes start their track it seems as more tornadoes come from the west they start taking the same track and the reason why i say that is is with the battery backup and the weather radio is a lot of times there's going to be power outages right so with that with that weather radio you'll be able to get subsequent warnings as they might come out as far as you know western storms start coming across the state mm-hmm. um, and plus there's they, you know there's other warnings that can go out over the normal weather radio system as well Smoke detectors is obviously huge. It's the old saying, but it holds true that smoke detectors save lives. And you can look up statistics on fatalities within residential and even commercial structure fires of the number that had working smoke detectors and the numbers that did not. Absolutely. Recommended is one smoke detector in every bedroom and a smoke detector outside each bedroom. That's just, uh, I think our house, we ended up, I think we've got eight or ten smoke detectors in our house. You just told me I have to go buy some more smoke detectors. <laughs> well, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's code, you know, and code has come a long way, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, life safety code, building codes have come a long way where they're all wired together. So if a smoke detector goes off in one side of your house, they all go off. 
but definitely the smoke detectors to alert occupants. And one thing we teach when we go to our school system, and it's not just for school kids, we recommend it to the adults too, is have you an evacuation plan? Work with your family, work with your kids, is if something happens, make sure everyone that lives in your house has two ways, at least two ways to get out. Mm-hmm. And, then have and we always recommend, after. too, yeah. as a, 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 a meeting spot. Mm-hmm, a because meeting spot. when we come up, the first questions we're going to ask, the, which will depend on what type of operation we have, is, is everyone out? Is everyone accounted for? Right. And they're like, yep, everybody's here. This is our meeting spot. So our approach to that residential structure fire is going to be a little bit different than if we know someone's still inside. Exactly. We have added a way for our listeners who would like to support the podcast to do so. We love our coffee. So you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash practicalprep and buy us a cup of coffee. That's buymeacoffee.com slash practicalprep. The fire extinguishers is, is just a huge, huge advantage to have. Like Krista said, not just one. And I always, <clears throat> we always talk about when you go and do, you know, talk to people and ask, like, where's your fire extinguisher? It's underneath the sink in our kitchen. Well, guess where the prime spot you might need is a fire extinguisher? A lot of times it's in the kitchen. So we always talk about trying to have it from a couple places. We used to keep ours at the old house. We kept it going out. Kind of like you'll see in a in a commercial building or a business, most times your fire extinguishers are mounted on a wall or in a cabinet on your means of an exit. That as you're on your, you know, you can go get it. And because I've seen times before on some some house fires that might have started in the kitchen where they couldn't get to the fire extinguisher. Mm, uh huh. So having and I know people don't want to hang extinguishers in their house. I I, I totally get it, but just have them in a couple places where they. As you try to evacuate and get away from, you know, a danger or a fire is you can grab it and actually get it maybe knocked down a little bit. And it just, if you don't get it all the way out, but that gives the fire department a, a few extra minutes of and it might even give those inside valuable time to, to not out. get overcome with smoke right. and so on as well. Because a lot of things when we talk about, and I think you said something earlier about calling, you know, we always advise to, if you have an emergency, if you have smoke in your house or always call early. And the reason why is that's just valuable time that gives us, we much rather pull up to your house and it be something in your toaster that caused all the smoke. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Because by the time you call 911, by the time you realize there's an emergency, by the time you call 911, by the time 911 is able to get the information, and now with cell phones, they're having to ask extra questions to figure out where you're at. Mm-hmm. That that time gets turned around, then they got to give the call to the fire department, and then there's response time. So we always advise to to call early. Because you've got that time, you got that time lapse there. So the, the earlier call, the better off it's going to be for everybody. Right. Exactly. And hopefully it'll keep from spreading too far for you to be able to do something with it when you get there. But we also try to tell people that do not waste a lot of time. If it's, we still recommend to get out of the house. Get, yeah, get out and go to safety. Mm-hmm. And not go back in. We've had some of that, you know, where they, 
uh, say somebody gets everybody out of their house and they try to go back in with a fire extinguisher, they try to go back in to get something. We've seen fatalities from that where everybody was out, but one person went back in and that's the person that, you know, the fire department's having to go try to find. I have mm-hmm. heard that type of an outcome more than once. And it is a, I mean, it's saddening to think that they, they made it, they were safe. Maybe they went back in for a dog or a cat or a yep. bird or a pet or something. It's like sometimes those animals are smart enough to get out. And a lot of times the animal will be out. Uh, we uh, we had a house fire like that. We uh, homeowner come up. It was a very large residential structure fire. And we're a dog family at my house. And he was in a panic. And I totally understood. Yeah, and yeah, we did. It. We put crews. I mean, hey, everyone's out. We're, we're doing fire suppression, but be on the lookout. I want to say a couple hours into this, this dog walked out of the garage. Oh, my word. Oh. We took a saw and cut a garage door to, mm-hmm. to gain access. Crews, interior crews really couldn't find the dog. And it was I'm probably an hour or two into this call. All of a sudden, there's this dog that walked out. Oh, my so. word. Well, that's a great outcome, but two of the worst hours of somebody's life, no doubt. All right, let's yeah. let's change one other thing here to cover, if you would. Being a prepping podcast, cover some of the skills or the training that someone should get or someone should have to be able to help until professional help arrives, or if no help can come. So we... um. We've talked about this before, and we already touched on it, you know, just a few minutes ago about Alabama and the the tornadoes that we experience. A lot of times, I've had it before where access to a certain area was limited. So you have to get any, a chainsaw crew in there before you can get a fire truck. Right, exactly. Right. And even you know any type of natural disaster, the when one of the hurricanes had come up out of the Gulf of Mexico before, you know, we had a lot of flooding areas that were isolated. So just your basic first aid training, I recommend anybody and everybody to have CPR training. Amen. Because it is documented early intervention CPR is one of the keys to saving someone's life. Couldn't agree more. And we've actually encouraged people to learn CPR, not just for adults, but also infants, because infant CPR is very different. If you're in a neighborhood that's been isolated due to some kind of disaster, it might not be the people in your house you need to help. Exactly. It could be the kid across the street that something happens. Mm -hmm. So that that first aid, your basic first aid in in CPR training is is huge. You know, we covered a lot of some of the equipment that you can have, you know, fire extinguishers, weather radios, a good first aid kit. Yeah. Yes. And more and, than just uh, band-aids. You know, you might have to have gauze, wrapping, things like that. Yeah, definitely <laughs> stuff for bleeding control to be able to, you know, slow bleeding till the fire department or your EMS provider can get there. I know y'all probably talk a lot about just, you know, backup, so any kind of backup power, whether it's batteries, flashlights. Because a lot of the events that we experience here are in the middle of the night. Right. They are. So just having flashlights, batteries, you know, even just portable generators, just to be able to sustain till help can get to you. Because at times it could be, it could be an extended period till help can actually get to you. Well, there's a prioritizing there as well. And if you've got a broken arm, 
you're going to wait longer than a guy that's got a two before sticking in his chest. Yeah. Right. And that's, uh, I mean, those are extreme of, examples, but, right. But you, you're on, you're on, you're spot on with that is, you know, a lot of times with a, a disaster, just using tornadoes again, because that's what we're familiar with, is you can have a small tornado that might just hit a couple houses, but then at the same time, you could have a large track and a wide tornado that could affect a large part of your city. Right. And it doesn't matter what size city you are. When you start having large-scale disasters, large-scale incidents, you have as much resources as you have. Right. And it can become overwhelming. Um, it overwhelms the first responders right away. And sometimes your your neighbor, your your neighbor, whether it's a, another city or a small volunteer department, they might be affected by the same disaster you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So sometimes your help could be, you know, a good ways off to be able to try to mitigate and get to every emergency response that's been requested. Exactly. Good advice. Good advice. Well, we appreciate you being with us. Anything that we haven't covered that you would like to add? No, I I believe it's, uh, like I said, I appreciate the invitation, and I've been looking forward to talking to both of y'all. And anytime you have something that comes up and need someone to talk to, you can always just holler at me. Okay. And, Chris, anything else you want to well, I just I just want to go on record as saying, and I've told Tim this before, how much I do appreciate him and his department and the job that he does and the ones that he works with, the men and women that are first responders, and I'm going to include dispatch, law enforcement, all of the people that are there when you call for help. These are the people that jump into action, and they do the very best they can do, and I want you to know I appreciate it, and I think that we have a whole planet full of people that really do appreciate and thank you for the selflessness and the energy and the dedication that you show on your job. Just want you to know we appreciate it. We've got listeners from all over the world, and there may be some people in countries that wish they had the resources that we do who knows? Maybe they need to start their own little volunteer first responders communities right. as well. Well, folks, we appreciate you being with us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And please leave us a five-star review. That helps more people be able to hear this podcast. Share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. Email at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember... Stuff happens. Stay prepared.